The vast majority of revenue in the creative industries, from publishing to music to Hollywood, comes from content that's over a year old. That's right. We all get excited about the launch, about the new glitzy thing. But the fact is, most businesses rely on that thing that sells over and over and over again, year after year after year after year. On this episode, I visit with Ryan Holiday. He is the author of Perennial Seller, The Art of Making and Marketing Work That Lasts. He's also a brilliant guy. Check it out. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jantz and my guest today is Ryan Holiday. He is the author of a new book we're going to talk about today called Perennial Seller, The Art of Making and Marketing Work That Lasts. Uh, Ryan's also involved, what's this, like sixth or seventh book, I think, and is involved in a lot of other marketing areas. So we're just going to go all, all over the place. So welcome, Ryan. Thank you for having me. So which is it, six book? This is six. Yeah. So you have, um, you've certainly touched in some marketing areas. You, you took on the world of online PR. Um, you have probably established yourself as, you know, one of the, the, the most current, uh, experts in the world of stoicism. Is that, is that the best way to say that? I guess so. <laughs> and, uh, and then obviously you're back with another, uh, marketing book. So how do you, how do you keep it all straight? Well, I, I don't think I don't I don't think that they're separate in the sense that one requires one mind and the other requires yeah. some totally different mind. I I think you know what I'm trying to do with this book is explain what you and I both know about the publishing industry, which is you know most books are published and they don't last. Yeah. Um, same is true with most blogs, most most podcasts, most movies, most television shows. They come out. They do a big blitz of marketing and then they don't they don't go anywhere. I'm actually more interested, you know, obviously you're using the, the phrase duct tape marketing in one sense, but I'm more interested in like the business that's duct taped together, but it keeps going and going yeah, yeah, yeah. than 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 the one that that looked pretty and fancy and had, you know, its celebrity endorsements and a big advertising campaign, but ultimately didn't resonate with people and didn't stand the test of time. So, you know. Uh, I'm fascinated by by the things that endure, and particularly as an author, I'm interested only in writing books that have a chance to 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 last. So, so let's start with um, you. You you kind of defined what it wasn't. So let's let's have sort of a succinct. What is a perennial seller? Well, a perennial seller is uh, each industry has its own has its own sort of metrics. But um, in publishing, for example, a book is considered backlist after one year. In the music industry, an album is considered a catalog album after 18 months. Movies tend to really be judged on their opening weekend. So a movie that performs at the theater for five weekends in a row is more perennial than obviously one that, that didn't perform at all. So it, it's, it's somewhat of a vague term, but basically it's, it's defining things that sell for longer than the standard shelf life of products in that space. And anything that year in and year out becomes kind of a dependable resource that's that's always finding new customers, new clients, new fans, new audience, um, 
that's that's what I'm obsessed with. That's what I try to make of my own work. And then I think it's also the most underexplored part of the creative industries. Yeah, and, and, and what's interesting when I read this book, because you talk about the creative industries, but I'll touch on this in a minute, but I think it applies to a lot of things, a lot of businesses, you know, non-creative <laughs> businesses. I sure. Think, I think what you talk about in this book um, really touches on that because there really, there's kind of two big elements. There's the creating something with a perennial mindset, but then there's also the, the launching of it, the marketing of it that uh, does make it that because would you agree that there are some books out there that just, they didn't have the right approach in marketing them, but you know, they, so they didn't turn into a perennial seller, but it wasn't really a reflection on the quality of the content. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I would say that there are probably more undiscovered brilliant works of art than there are discovered brilliant works of art. Um, So I would I would say, you know, the shelves grown under the weight of geniuses uh, or genius masterworks that we don't know about because, you know, the the author or the screenwriter or the musician or the producer believed and, you know, that old myth, if you build it, they will come. I, I would say there's probably not a more dangerous, self-destructive right. myth out there. You know, a lot of creative people think that that they really identify with that that label. I'm the creator. I'm the creative person. And then they think the marketer is this other person that they hand it off to. I say the ideal, it, ideally, we should be that that should be in two minds in the same body because Think about it. If you're not willing to hustle and promote and market your own work, what does that say about the quality of that work or your belief in it? Yeah. So what about the pressure that some creators, you probably feel a little bit, um, probably less than some, but <laughs> to to produce the next thing. Um, does that sometimes weigh on producing thing, something that shouldn't be produced? Oh, that's a, that's a good question. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I do think... Um, we can, we can mistake quantity for quality, certainly. And we can, we can rush out something before it's ready. I, I, I say like in, and, and you probably experience this with your publishers as well. It's like sometimes the author has to be a big enough jerk to say, no, we're going to stop and we're going to sit here and we're going to take as much time as it requires to get it right. Other times the author has to be the person who's rushing forward and being the energy. So I, I, I do feel like every time I make something, I want to get it out into the world as soon as possible. And I often have to stop and remind myself, you know, is this as good as it can be? Am I taking enough time to actually get it right? You know, if, if this thing is going to hopefully sell for five years or 10 years or a hundred years, what's one more week to stop and think about the cover or what's one more week to really get the copyright or what's another, uh, you know, $5,000 to spend on advertising or marketing or testing. So I, I think you have to stop in that sense. And then also you have to make sure that you're not falling into the creator's trap of just getting so often in the weeds and obsessing about every small detail that you never end up shipping. Do you find that you ever formula might not be the right word, but do you find that you, in hindsight now, in trying to write a perennial seller, that you write to a certain approach as or process as opposed to maybe what really kind of drives you and, and kind of the fire in your belly? I don't know if I asked that right. Do you see what I'm getting at? 
Yeah, it's like, are you are you chasing what's in your heart or are you right. chasing what you think is going to sell better? Right, um, right. Yeah, I, I mean, there's certainly that temptation. I mean, look, Hollywood is in that trap. It's why they make franchise movie after franchise movie and they don't take risks. Um, and, and that can be a problem. I think I, I'm a big believer in, in uh, the concepts in Blue Ocean strategy, you know, the idea of going where there's no competition. So I, I, I'm always I'm always a little bit afraid each time I put something out. And that in, in a weird paradoxical way, that that fear is reassuring because it means I'm doing something new. So even with Perennial Seller, you know, my, my last three books have been about philosophy and history, and they've sold really, really well. So obviously a more expected move would be to continue that series and this is a bit of a detour, but I I really couldn't get these themes out of my head. I really believed in it. So on release day, which was a couple of weeks ago, I sat there and I, you know, I'm I'm chewing my fingernails. Did I make the right call? Is this going to be an embarrassment? Is this going to turn out wrong? So I think chasing that fear a little bit is important. So how do you keep up with? So so the idea behind a perennial seller is that maybe there. are there's not a whole lot of stuff in it that in five years from now, we're not even going to be talking about, you know, like for example, could you write a perennial seller about social media? Well, when I wrote growth hacker marketing, that was very much a trend of the moment, the idea of the Silicon Valley growth hacker. But as I was writing it, I was trying to, Jeff Bezos has this idea of focusing on the parts of a business that don't change. Right. And so, um, People are uh, what 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 I ended up deciding to focus on, and this was a very conscious choice before I wrote a word. Was you know everyone was talking about these the specific hacks. You know, hey, here's what so and so is doing on Facebook, yeah. or here's what so and so has managed to do on Reddit, or with this ad platform, or you know this service. And I, I realized that not only would that date the book, but it would be very intimidating to your average reader who's being introduced to the concept for the first time. So I ended up focusing on the mindset of a growth hacker rather than the specific tactics or tools. And I would say, you know, that book, I think it, this fall will be at its fifth year anniversary, maybe four, I don't remember exactly. But that book has lasted, you know, two or three years longer than it might otherwise have lasted had I gone the other direction. And, and I'm not saying it's going to, it's going to, it's going to be discovered in an archeological dig, you know, in 10 centuries from now. And, and I would be very honest with myself about what that book is and what it was trying to do. But I do think it's, it's certainly lasted longer than other books published at the same time about more or less the same topic. So would you call Ego's Enemy a perennial seller? Well, it's only been out. It came out in July of 2016, so it's only been out for a little over a year now. But um, you know, it sells uh, over a thousand copies a week. It's getting published in new languages. I'm not necessarily doing much in the way of marketing, and yet I get emails every day from people saying that they just heard about it. So to me, it has the the trending signs of being perennial, but. Um, it's it's too early to tell the the book that came before it the obstacle is away came out in 2014 and it's it actually sells better weekly than perennial so or sorry than than ego so it's i would say it's on the cusp of being defined as one of those books so is your thought on the process of creating a perennial seller um 
Did you go into those books with that process in mind or is the process now sort of because you've done those books? I mean, it's a little bit of both. I learn on every project that I do. Even when I work with other authors, I feel like I'm always learning. But, you know, the decision to say base a book on a 2000 year old effective form of philosophy is, I think, a far safer and more perennial bet than, say, basing it on some new psychology study that came out of Harvard, right? Right. And so I I think a lot of people, when they're writing their books, they're not writing their books or making a movie. You know, um, uh, Stephen Pressfield famously bases a lot of his books on really ancient stories or ancient story arcs, knowing that, hey, this is a proven formula or this is a proven, um, you know, a proven recipe like – an interesting theory I heard the other day was that the the FX series Sons of Anarchy is actually just a remake of Shakespeare's Hamlet mm. with motorcycles. Yeah. And so it's like if you're an executive and you're betting between right. this crazy show about this random topic and then you're going, hey, we're doing one of the most popular storylines in the history of the English language, but it's going to be about this motorcycle gang. One to me is a much safer and I actually think creatively more interesting bet. Well, you hear a lot of uh, uh, startups pitching themselves that way, right? Yes. It's we're Airbnb for X, (laughs) you know, because I think that's what people are trying to do is connect to something that's already proven. Yeah. And look, I think from a marketing perspective, that's very dangerous in the sense that you never want to like when I hear a startup go, oh, we're like Facebook, but we do this one tiny other little thing differently. That's not that interesting. If you notice, Sons of Anarchy has never said like Sons of Anarchy didn't say we're Hamlet with motorcycles. They said we're this crazy story about motorcycles with amazing acting in it. And, you know, it's beautifully shot and it's got all this action in it. And, you know, they're selling it on the merits. But, yeah, in behind closed doors, I think it's very important to have something that you're rooted in or something that you're aspiring to. I, th- I think that's 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 hugely important. Yeah, because because you want to get people's attention very quickly, or at least get them to understand on some based on something they already understand. I guess is is probably what's going on there. So sure, you have a bit of I've I've seen you uh, read an interview that you uh, uh, did previously on the book, and you you kind of have four steps in a, in a process. So if I'm a if I'm a you do help a lot of other authors um, both get published and promote their books. So is there kind of a process for what – again, obviously, yeah. you're trying to help them create the best possible book that's going to sell the most. But is there a kind of a step one, step two kind of approach? Yeah. So I, I break the creative process or the creating a perennial seller in – and again, not just books in any sort of creative field, whether you're opening a coffee shop or right. you're, you know, uh, writing a great American novel. I, I sort of I, the first step to me is the creative phase. You know, that's what you're bringing into it. That's what your intentions are. That's how much work you're putting in. Um, that's that's the topic that you're picking, all of these things. And then then there's a, a process, you know, the the benchmark in publishing for me is like when you have your first draft of the manuscript, you're not done by any means, but you the you've created the a chunk of what you're trying to create. And now I want you to start thinking about, 
you know, your audience. I want you to think about how you're going to title this thing. I want you to think about, did you actually accomplish what you'd originally set out to accomplish, right? Harper Lee famously turns in a draft of To Kill a Mockingbird, and the, the, the her editor says, look, this isn't a fully formed novel. Obviously, she thought that's what she she did, but she had to submit herself to external feedback and sort of look objectively at what she made. So I think the polishing, I call it the sort of um, polishing and packaging and positioning phase of things um, is is the next step. And then then you're you're about halfway through because now you're you're looking down the barrel of a launch and how are you getting this out into the world? Um, how who are you getting? Who are going to be the first? thousand users or thousand customers you know what's your advertising strategy going to be what's your public relations strategy going to be what's your influencer strategy going to be um what's your uh you know how are you how are you getting attention for this that's that's the essential phase how are you launching this out into the world and then i think the the final phase and this is where it sort of bends back towards the first phase is the is the development of a platform and a career you know oftentimes the best work that you can do, the best marketing thing you can do for a book is to write another book because it develops a new audience. Or, you know, I want I want to make sure that people have acquired an email list or a, a brand or a, a platform that they can launch their work from. I want you to make sure that also that you're not quitting on this thing prematurely. To me, the platform is the edifice that's supporting you being invested yeah. in this project over the long term. And so, you know, again, this is sort of it's one, two, three, four, but really it's sort of more of a circle than a than a line. And it's bringing you back towards, oh, now I'm starting my next project. Maybe that's, you know, Apple launches the, uh, you know, launches the iPod and then they're thinking about the iPhone and the two are feeding into each other. You know, it's interesting when I listen to you describe that process, I think you could use you could use that process for writing a single blog post. You could use that process for launching a product. Absolutely. I mean, the two questions that I tell writers of articles, because uh, I, I have a lot of editorial clients. I, I work with the New York Observer. I've worked with Complex Media and Entrepreneur and a bunch of other places. I always say, like, you have to go into every article that you write and, and have an answer to these two questions. Who am I making this for and how are they going to find out about it? And so that's really step one and step that's step one and two and step three and four. Yeah. Um, and so, yes, I think it works on a very small level. You know, it's it's how you would launch a company, but it's also how you would launch a product inside that company. Do you have um, would be authors pitching you ideas that you kind of have to say, look, go home and come back when you're serious about this or <laughs> or that, that you know, sure. you've got to build a platform and, and that's work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of people, I think the, this is very understandable, but the first creative instinct is like what this does for you, right? Like it's like, oh, I'm really excited about this or this would be really good for my brand or this would be, you know, I could get a lot of clients for this. And those are, I always push back on those reasons because they're very selfish reasons. Yep. And at the end of the day, the only reason your product is going to be a success is because one person is recommending it to another person. And so I, I'm trying to urge them to root their work in something more meaningful, more value, sort of value driven, value creation driven. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that's a big problem. And then I think that uh, people often 
underestimate just how difficult making anything is. You know, Elon Musk um, compared starting a company to eating glass, <laughs> and and George Orwell compared writing a book to a, a bout with a long illness. And I think both of those descriptors are pretty good. So don't it don't rush into it because if it doesn't last, you're going to have to do it again. Yeah. So uh, in addition to selling your own books um, and helping others uh, sell books, you, your book list um, has become uh, somewhat known for selling a lot of books as well. So you want to talk a little bit about that? Um, that's sort of a passion project of yours? Sure. I mean, and it's it sort of it started both as a passion project and as something kind of selfish. I mean, in 2009, I used to, you know, I started a blog probably in 2006 and I used to just post reading recommendations on there. And, and I noticed people would occasionally click them and they liked them. And I, I thought, you know, one day I'm going to want to produce my own book and I'm going to need people. I'm going to need an email list to promote it. But there's no reason anyone would sign up for an email list from this random guy. And so I started a really small email list where I just recommended books that I liked. Uh, and, it you know, I think the first one was like 50 people. And now it's, you know, pushing 85,000 people. And, you know, I've gotten to send six emails to that list for my own books, which is pretty cool. Yep. Um, but, but it became the platform that I was then able to launch my stuff from. And, you know, it's funny. I think it, there's a point here about competition. People have heard that story and then gone, I'm going to go create my own reading list newsletter. And that, to me, that's the wrong lesson. It's like, I already created that newsletter. I don't care if you compete with me, but the public only has so many, so much room for so many of those newsletters. You should go find something else that doesn't exist and make that. That's where I think you'll have the biggest success and see the most gains. Um, James Altucher, who uh, has been on this show, I think uh, does a great job with that too. But he's he's very selective around a couple books each month around a, a related topic, and so I think it's kind of a neat way. Uh, for him to do it, so he'll recommend like you. You probably are familiar with his newsletter, but he'll yeah. he'll he'll recommend three books that all sort of relate to each other. So it's, I, I, I always enjoy uh, his recommendations as well. No, I love his. I've talked to him a bunch. It's he, he always tells me that I could do better. I would sell more books if I recommended books around themes, or yeah, yeah. you know, I, I try to pick the the books that I liked that month. So it's not the most. Uh, right. As you said, it's a passion project. It's not the most business friendly thing. But it's 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 done. You know, it's not supposed to reach a million people. It's supposed to reach a smaller group. And and I think I think that's key too is sort of knowing what success looks like to you. Yeah, and I think that you've done it long enough too that people know what they're getting. You know, I mean, yes. and, and they've had experience, and they you know they they loved what you wrote wrote about, or they didn't, and then and then they left. You know, so I think uh, the people that are there probably really um, are in tune with what you're writing about. I suspect. So, Ryan, <clears throat> tell people where they can get Perennial Seller and uh, anything else you want to share with us about uh, getting in touch with you. Yeah, so I, the book should be everywhere books are sold. And uh, you can follow me on social media at, at Ryan Holiday pretty much everywhere. And my website's ryanholiday.net and my email's on there too. Awesome. Well, Ryan, I appreciate you taking the time, and uh, I suspect you will have another, uh, we, we won't call it a perennial seller yet, but uh, certainly another bestseller on your hands, and uh, really love your work. Well, thank you, and, and can I thank you really fast? It's amazing to me. You had me on 
for my very first book. And it's crazy to think now how many years ago that was. And I'm glad we're both still here. <laughs> that is pretty funny. You remember that? Uh, you remember that Google Hangout we did? I do. <laughs> it was that was one of the most absurd things that ever happened to me. It was pretty epic. Um, I had fun anyway. <laughs> I did too. We might have been the only two. Yeah, yeah. Uh, David, David, remember yes. David? Remember Scott was on there. He yes. he he loved it too. But uh, there was one person that didn't have fun. So anyway, now we'll put a we'll put a, we'll, we'll put a link or a breadcrumb maybe to to it for those of you that are listening and are, are curious of what in the world we're talking about. Awesome. Thanks, Ryan. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. I wonder if you could do me a favor. Could you leave an honest review on iTunes? Your ratings and reviews really help, and I promise I read each and every one. Thanks.